Hello and welcome along to F1 Rewind, the all-new weekly podcast where we delve into the Formula 1 archives to bring you the events and headlines from each day in motorsport history. Yes, hello everybody, welcome. Whether you're a casual motorsport fan or an F1 nerd much like myself, I hope that you'll find there's a little bit of something for everyone in this brand new podcast series. We'll start, of course, with today's date, the 3rd of January. It's the day on which Leonardo da Vinci unsuccessfully tested a flying machine in 1496, the day that Charles Dickens set off to America in 1842, and the day that in 1988, Margaret Thatcher officially became Britain's longest-serving Prime Minister of the 20th century. It also happens to be the day on which the most successful F1 driver of all time was born in 1969, the day when Nigel Mansell's hopes of an F1 comeback were put on hold in 1995, and the day where the first usage of the word automobile appeared in the New York Times in 1899. We've got all of that and a lot more to cram into this week's show, but before we get on with it, I know you press play on this podcast to hear about Charles Dickens on a boat, so let's just get into that for a moment. Yep, that's right, Charles Dickens travelled to America for the first time on board the RMS Britannia in January 1842. The Britannia was one of the earliest transatlantic ships, and it's fair to say that the writer didn't have the best of times on board. He wrote about his journey in his book American Notes for General Circulation, where he describes the terrible weather on his voyage and about how he suffered with seasickness for most of the route. It's a good job TripAdvisor didn't exist back then, because I doubt old Charlie Boy's review would have been too positive. In fact, he hated it so much that he travelled back on a sailing boat. Even when he arrived in America, he wasn't happy. He soon got sick of the attention everywhere he went. I can do nothing that I want to do, go nowhere that I want to go and see nothing that I want to see. Still, it didn't stop him from making the journey twice more in his lifetime. Anyway, that's enough Dickens chat for one podcast. Let's dive into today's show. We'll start today's podcast as we will every week, looking back at notable Formula One figures who were born and who died on this day in history. Did you know, for example, Joey Chitwood died on this day in 1988? Now, to casual F1 fans, Chitwood may be an unfamiliar name. He made just one appearance in an F1 race, and that was at the 1950 Indianapolis 500, back when it counted towards the Drivers' Championship. He finished fifth in the event that year, just as he did in 1946 and 1949, though in 1950 he shared the drive with fellow American Tony Bettenhausen. Chitwood actually gave up racing soon after to become a full-time stunt driver, with his Joey Chitwood thrill show wowing audiences across the States. He even inspired Evil Knievel to become a daredevil extraordinaire, and he was the stunt driver in the 1973 James Bond film Live and Let Die, in which he also played a minor acting role. And that's not the end of the Chitwood trivia. In 1941, he became the first driver to wear a seatbelt in the Indy 500. It's amazing to think that it wasn't until the late 50s that seatbelts became commonly used in one of the most dangerous races in the world though there was some logic behind this, with many deeming it to be safer in those days to be flung from the vehicle rather than be trapped in a car which, most of the time, would set on fire after a crash. Next up, 
Did you know that three-time world champion Jackie Stewart had an older brother who was also a racing driver? Jimmy Stewart was a successful hill climb racer in his youth and made one appearance in an F1 championship race at the 1953 British Grand Prix at Silverstone with the Scottish Ecuria Cost team. Despite being the youngest driver on the grid, he actually raced really well and climbed as high as 6th place before spinning out 11 laps from the end. For fans of trivia, and if you haven't guessed yet, there's going to be quite a lot of that in this series, the 1953 British Grand Prix was the first F1 race to be televised live. It aired on BBC TV with commentary from Raymond Baxter. You can find the TV listings from that day on the BBC website. The coverage was in 20-minute snippets, interspersed with coverage of horse racing from Ascot. Anyway, back to the Jimmy Stewart tale. Jimmy never appeared in a championship F1 race again, and his racing career ended at the age of 24 with a sports car crash, also at Silverstone, two years on from his F1 appearance. Despite his early retirement, he was able to witness his younger brother Jackie become one of Britain's most successful racing drivers. Jackie talks at length about his close relationship with his brother and Jimmy's struggle with alcoholism in his autobiography Winning Is Not Enough, which is well worth a read. Jimmy died on this day in 2008 at the age of 76. Coincidentally, just like Charles Dickens, Jackie Stewart has written about his time on a ship named Britannia. Stewart spent some time on board Her Majesty's yacht Britannia in 1997, where he was invited to a dinner with Princess Anne and then travelled down the Clyde on the ship's final voyage. The Scots review is slightly more promising than that of Charles Dickens. There is one notable birthday today. Michael Schumacher was born on the 3rd of January 1969 in Hemmelheim, Germany. Now, what is there left to be said about the most successful F1 driver of all time? His career stats speak for themselves. Over 300 races, 7 world titles, 91 wins, 155 podiums, 68 poles, 77 fastest laps. The list goes on. Opinion on Schumacher is, like with a lot of great sporting figures, divided. His antics at times were deemed to be unsporting, such as his infamous crash with Damon Hill, which decided the destination of the 1994 title in his favour, a similar attempt with Jacques Villeneuve in 1997, which saw him disqualified from the championship, and, of course, that moment at La Rascasse in qualifying for the 2006 Monaco Grand Prix. I'd love to hear your opinion on all things Schumacher. Is he the greatest of all time in your opinion? Will Lewis Hamilton challenge his career stats in 2020? And what is your standout Schumacher moment? Let me know by tweeting me. You can find me on the Lights Out account at Lights Out F1 blog. For me, being a 90s kid, Michael was the icon of the era that I grew up watching the sport. He's actually responsible for my earliest F1 memory, I vividly remember him driving around on three wheels at Spa in the 1998 Belgian Grand Prix and his subsequent storm down the pit lane. If you were wondering, Schumacher shares his birthday with J.R.R. Tolkien, Mel Gibson and Clement Attlee. What a trio. Another thing I like to do on this podcast is to take a look back at the headlines from each day in F1 history. And with us being just a few days into the new year, it's unsurprising that there's been relatively little going on in the world of F1. I do have a few interesting tales for you though. 
On this day in 1995, Williams confirmed that David Coulthard would drive for them in the upcoming season. There was an ongoing legal battle at the time between McLaren and Williams for Coulthard's services that year. In December 1994, the FIA ruled in favour of Coulthard being Williams' property for the coming year. Taking over from Ayrton Senna's seat following his death at the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix, Coulthard sat out the final three races of the season to make way for the returning Nigel Mansell. Mansell won the closing race of the year in Adelaide, and it had long been expected that the 1992 world champion would remain with the Williams team for the 1995 season. The announcement of Coulthard and Damon Hill at Williams put a halt to Mansell's full-time comeback plans. He was subsequently linked with a Ferrari drive, but later in the month was announced as a McLaren driver. At the time, it was reported that Mansell accepted a $5 million pay cut as title sponsor Marlborough was unwilling to pay his requested fee. A driver lineup of Mika Hakkinen and Nigel Mansell for a full season was a mouth-watering prospect, but it didn't happen. Now, we're not saying that our Nigel had piled on the pounds, but he couldn't fit in the car. Nevertheless, McLaren hired Mark Blundell for the first few races while they redesigned the monocoque so that Mansell could fit in it. Mansell drove his first race for McLaren at the San Marino Grand Prix but was outpaced by 1.2 seconds by Hakkinen in qualifying at the Imola track. A collision with everyone's least favourite F1 Eddie, Eddie Irvine, in the race didn't help his cause. Mansell made one last appearance at the Spanish Grand Prix. He retired after 18 laps with handling issues and quit the team soon after. Meanwhile, Coulthard moved to McLaren for the 1996 season, where he stayed for the next nine years. You can hear more about DC's contract capers in his interview with Tom Clarkson on F1's official Beyond the Grid podcast. On this day in 2003, Minardi boss Paul Stoddart announced that his team was up for sale. The popular backmarker team had been in F1 since 1985. In recent seasons, drivers such as Fernando Alonso and Mark Webber had gained their first F1 experience with the Italian squad. Points were somewhat of a rarity for Minardi. They scored 38 points over their 20 seasons in the sport, and that includes the 7 which they picked up when only 6 cars were present on the grid for the 2005 US Grand Prix. Stoddart blamed an increase in the difficulty of securing sponsorship as the reasoning behind the sale of the team, admitting that the days of private F1 teams were all but over. Over the next two years, there were apparently 41 parties with interest in buying the team, including Eddie Irvine. The team was eventually sold to Red Bull in September 2005, and they used it as their rookie team, Toro Rosso, from 2006 onwards. Something that I found from researching for this podcast is that if you go back to pretty much any day in F1 history, there will be a headline with a quote from Bernie Eccleston. He'd barely had time to celebrate the new year before he had something to say in 2013. This time, he admitted that he was bored of Red Bull dominating the sport. By the start of 2013, Red Bull and Sebastian Vettel had won the last three titles, with Vettel fighting to the final round of the championship in both 2010 and 2012 to secure the honours. Unfortunately, Bernie didn't quite get his wish that year. Red Bull would go on to bag their fourth and so far latest Constructors' Championship title, 
while Vettel would set a new record for most consecutive wins on his way to his fourth title, winning nine in a row in the second half of the season. Speaking to Italian media, Bernie said he'd like to see a change at the top, preferably with Ferrari leading the way. The good news for Bernie was that there would indeed be a change at the top of the standings in the following season, as Mercedes went on to dominate the sport for the next six years and counting. Be careful what you wish for Mr Eccleston. Oh, talking of Bernie Eccleston, 1899 was around the time he was born, and our final headline for today revolves around that year. It was reportedly on this day that the first known use of the word automobile appeared in the New York Times in 1899. It's time to dispel that story slightly though. It may have been the word's first appearance in the New York Times, but the Automobile Club of Great Britain and Ireland, which later became the Royal Automobile Club, was founded two years previously in 1897. And for you etymology fans out there, and I know there's going to be a lot of you listening, the word was adopted into English from French and is thought to have been first used at some point between 1865 and 1870. You're welcome. That's all I have for you in this week's first episode of F1 Rewind. I really hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, be sure to hit subscribe wherever you're listening. You'll be able to catch the latest episodes as soon as they're released on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you like to listen from. I'll be back next Friday with more tales from the F1 Treasure Trove. I'll see you then.